G'day there, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Club. It's great to have your company. Beyond the Club is here to help make Australian sports clubs places we can be proud of. I'm Ben Hook, and at this point, I would usually introduce the brains behind this operation, Sam Elliott from Flinders University's award-winning doctor in sport health and physical activity. Unfortunately, Sam is unavailable today, so we wish him all the best. We'll see him next week. But Beyond the Club is beyond just one person. So we'll crack on today with our guest who is about to join us. That is Daniel Menzel. Menzel is a former AFL footballer who played with Sydney and Geelong. He played 80 games all up. But it's the games he missed, not the ones he played, that is his story. He missed an inordinate amount of football due to not one, not two, not three, but four knee reconstructions. He has become a leader in mental resilience uh, and the mental health space. He'll be joining us shortly. But before we get into the nuts and bolts of every episode, we begin with a club of the day. I'm going to go on a minor diversion today. We're going to go with an athlete of the day because individual athletes who aren't necessarily part of clubs shouldn't be left behind and we leave no one behind here at Beyond the Club. I want to tell you the story about Amy Herman. She's a jockey. Now, I don't want to get into the debate of should we be talking about gambling sports and all of those sorts of things, but I think we can all agree that anyone who rides a horse competitively and all of the skill and courage that that entails is quite is something quite special, something quite outstanding. Amy Herman is outstanding. I want to tell you her story. Uh, she was a dual-licensed jockey here in South Australia uh, for uh, ooh, around about three or four years. She was originally a flat jockey. She went to become a jumps jockey as well. She suffered a horrendous fall during a, a jumps trial in 2015. She fractured parts of her spine, but perhaps uh, more significantly for a jockey was that she suffered uh, quite a significant head trauma and a bleed on the brain. Now, uh, when you are a jockey and you suffer that sort of injury, uh, the one thing I will say about racing, I mean, they do not allow their riders or their horses go around and compete unless they are absolutely 100% fit. So Amy spent every year since 2015 until today recovering from her injuries. She was allowed to ride trials. She began riding trials in 2017. But it wasn't until 2022, and in November 2022, that she was cleared for race riding. Last week, so we're talking about we're in the middle of December here, last week, she's back in Victoria now, so she was originally a South Australian jockey, but uh, she was competing in... Uh, an event on King Island where they have regular race meetings and she won her first race meeting on King Island for something like 2,380 days. Now, we're going to be speaking to Daniel Menzel shortly and he talks about uh, resilience and uh, mental toughness and the capacity to stick at things when things aren't going particularly well. Amy Herman's a wonderful example of that. Uh, I've got a quote from her here, I think. She said after that win, this is why I wasn't walking away from it. I, I was going to be too stubborn to walk away from my passion and my love. So uh, yeah, seven years she has spent getting herself to the point where she could compete again. She managed to do it and uh, now she's had a victory. It's an amazing achievement. Amy Herman's a great story. Daniel Menzel is also a great story. He joins us right after this. 
Joining us now is the Ken Farmer medalist and SEN broadcaster, Daniel Menzel. Daniel, welcome to be on the club. Hooky, it's good to be on the podcast with you. Uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of what we're going to talk about, mate, um, by the time people are listening to this, it's uh, early 2023. How's pre-season been tracking? Because you've been doing it for a while and we're recording this only in the middle of December. Yes, it's uh, we started in November and uh, a couple of gruelling months for us in training. It's, uh, it's a long pre-season, which I've uh, touched on a few times with a few people, <laughs> yourself being one of them. But... Um, yeah, look, you, you get to December, you feel fit at least because you have a lot of hard sessions and hard weeks where you are genuinely um, gassed at the end of the week. So it's nice to feel fit coming into the end of the year, summertime, uh, and ready to launch into the 2023 season. Uh, there's a couple of things that I want to touch on that relate to previous episodes of our podcast that I think you'll be uh, ideal to reflect on from your own personal perspective. So we've talked about, and we've just been through uh, the 2022 National Draft, we've discussed elite athletes and how um, parents and people around them should not so much manage them, but be cognizant of the challenges that they're faced with. So um, we might just do a little bit of a, a chronological order of your career that, of course, um, certainly features around the four knee reconstructions that you had and uh, the challenges that you had all through that. But I, I just want to go a bit earlier than that to start off. Um, do you remember your draft day? I do. I My draft day was the same day as my valedictory for Kings Baptist at year 12. So I was at my brother's house watching the draft whilst everyone else was at uh, the valedictory and then I went there after I got drafted. So it was pretty special to walk into effectively my year 12 dinner um, and as a new AFL player and a Geelong footballer. Was it obviously exciting, but was it also daunting, a bit intimidating to know that you were going into this space? Yeah, it definitely was. It's uh, it's a combination of both. As you said, uh, I, I'm walking in, I have phone calls from Cameron Lang, from Jimmy Bartel, um, Gary Abbas. Hang on, I just got to bend down and pick up the names you've dropped there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's uh, pretty incredible. You pinch yourself at the time and... Then when I rocked up to the club, you walk in, I remember Paul Chapman, Cam Mooney, Josh Hartman, the first guys I saw, and and uh, yeah, it is. It's one of those moments where you do pinch yourself. And so uh, really special time for all the young kids that get drafted at this time of year, and you go there and you meet a lot of your heroes, and, and then you're pretty quickly straight into it. There are a lot of people that would have been, as you said, very happy for you. Did you detect that there was an element of people out there that resented your success? Um. I mean, it's going to be there, but I probably didn't have that too much because I had a really good network around me. And so I was from Golden Grove Footy Club, Kings Baptist High School. Both of those uh, schools and teams hadn't really had a lot of success come through AFL. The Kings Baptist had never had anyone drafted and Golden Grove just had Shane Edwards. So in terms of the resentment, it was more a little bit more of a country feel where everyone's excited for you mm. because it's something that doesn't necessarily happen here. You're a novelty. Yes. So it's not like I was at PAC or Sacred Heart and everyone was like, well, I wanted to go and he went and he went and he went and I didn't. So it was, um, it was probably a nice um, way and, and touch that, yeah, the community was certainly supportive of me. There's probably, I think, eight, nine, ten young South Australians who were drafted uh, just over a week ago now. 
knowing what you've lived through in your first six months in an AFL program, in an elite sport program, what would your recommendation to those youngsters be? That's uh, it's an interesting question. I so Mateus Philippou got drafted from Woodville yes. West Torrens, which is my club that I play at now, and I had a, a few really good chats with Mateus just before he got drafted, and I, I sent him a message as well on draft day, and just said all the best. Really exciting chapter about to start for you in your life. Um, keep backing yourself and get plenty out of um, everything, but also get people in your corner and invest in them and and respect them and buy into them, and that's the message I've passed on to him that. If I could tell myself again when I was 18, that is you come from a state team, a sample team where you are the best player in the team mm. and you go to an AFL team where effectively you're pretty much the worst player in the team. But you have a great deal of confidence and naivety that you don't see that first up. So you know how to play the game. I know what patterns to run and everything else, but be a sponge, take absolutely everything in. And if someone's telling you they want you to do something one way, then absolutely listen, learn and take it on board because you it will fast track your development. But also, as I said to Mateus in that message, it will get people in your corner. If you listen to people and you show respect to people who have been there and done it and who have that experience, it's amazing then how much that will come back to you in terms of them investing into you down the track and basically buying into you, which at the end of the day is what you need. You need more coaches and players to buy into you to have a really successful career. Two questions that I just want to ask you about that, and then I want to sort of re-nose back onto your story. But uh, Mateus Filippo is a really interesting one because uh, he's had some headlines in the paper where I guess he's been talking himself up, and we have discussed this before, Daniel. Yep. Um, just explain a bit about what Mateus is really like. Um, is that an accurate reflection of what he's like, or has he been betrayed a little bit maybe differently to what he what he is really like? And... How important is it in that environment where you've actually got to be prepared to say, no, 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 I do belong here. This is something that I I know in my own mind I can do. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one. Uh, with Mateus, he's got a great deal of confidence. He really backs himself. Some people will, uh, I guess, be misled and see that as arrogance potentially. Yeah. Um, some people will be threatened and by that. I, I, honestly, mate, I mean, I've had a lot of feedback saying, who's this Mateus Filippo? You know, who does yep. he think he is? Yep. That's the average punter. I mean, I know there's a lot of things on social media, but you would have seen and heard a bit of that that he's copped as well. And he's not like that, is he? No, he's not. And it's really interesting. If we were in America right now, he'd be getting pumped up as yeah. this is what you've got to do. This is great. We love this in this kid. He's he's confident. He's gonna he's gonna make it. Whereas in Australia, the tall poppy syndrome, we like to bring people back down. And so what I said to Matthias, and I think he's cognizant and understanding of this, is that back yourself in, have confidence. But don't allow that confidence to go, all right, I know more than other people who I've been drafted with. I know more than other people who are at the club who've been there longer than me. Make sure that you have that confidence because players will love that in the long run. But at the same time, make sure you listen and learn from the coaches, from the people there. Because if if they see, and there's probably examples, I'm not going to name names, no. but there's probably examples in the previous couple of years of players coming into teams that are really confident in themselves and they back themselves in. And they might not necessarily be the greatest listener and learner and don't take on board feedback from senior players and then impact. And then what has happened is they've gone, well, I'm not going to invest in you. Why would I buy into you? Because you're not buying into us mm. and buying into me. And so it's a really tricky one, but you've got to make sure that, yep, I, I love confidence because you can always rein it back in. Whereas I've seen a lot of players and come through with a lot of players that 
players have said to him, we need you to back yourself more. We need you to talk more. We need you to do more. You, you're good enough. And they're like, yeah, I, I am. But And you're like, if you could just get out of your shell, you'd actually be able to make it. So I prefer to have someone the other way where we can go, look, we'll reel you back in and then we'll be able to get the best out of you. Uh, it, and th- that was the other things I wanted to touch on. Had you seen guys who haven't been able to rein it in and have you seen guys who've been all a bit demoralised and, and never felt quite comfortable in their own skin? And you've, you've answered that um, uh, perfectly. I want to go back to your first knee reconstruction. Can you recall it? Can you recall your reaction? Um, was it determination? Was it disappointment? Was it a bit of a mix of everything? Yeah, I, I certainly can recall it. I do presentations on it now where I show a clip from my first knee reconstruction every time. So I, I look at it uh, on a clip at least once a week, wow. which um, we'll get to this later, but I'm, I'm very much desensitised to it now that it doesn't impact me at all when I watch it. But I, I recall it, and I recall the first emotion um, for me was disappointment that I was potentially going to miss out on the premiership three weeks later. Uh, I didn't really think about... The rehab being nine to 10 to 12 months, uh, I didn't think about much else in the future. I just thought we have just knocked off Collingwood, who are the other best team in the comp, where the two best teams were better by 90 points last week. We're in a qualifying final, about to win. We're going to go into a prelim. More than likely, we're going to win the premiership in three weeks, and I won't be playing in that game. Was there periods of time subsequent to the grand final, all the celebrations, where the reality of your situation, I guess, dawned on you? Uh, it probably wasn't until after the grand final. I was just so um, set on being an AFL player as a kid, which I had achieved. Uh, then being able to make it and perform at the level, which I was starting to achieve, and winning an AFL premiership. They were realistically my three goals. Yeah. And so to be able to have done nearly all of them at 19 if I had have not done my knee would have been pretty incredible to set up my career Uh, and so for the first three weeks it was all around uh, the premiership all around winning it I had some complications early days with my knee reconstruction and so that probably took my mind off a little bit and I had to get my knee drained and had some excruciating pain around that but the physical trauma and pain was nothing on the mental impact Mm. and so it, uh, it's something that once the season was done, then it was just absolute sheer determination to get back next year, to be able to play and then win the premiership next year. How far between doing your first and your second was it? It was nine and a half months. So you never played again, did you? You didn't play... It was my comeback game in the VFL. I did wow. my other knee. So, uh, and it was your other knee? Yeah. yeah. So second quarter in my comeback game, uh, it's quite... I don't know, it's it's funny, and funny's not the right word, but I've done three knees in this second quarter um, hmm. in, in games in the same pair of boots as well. So I quickly threw them out once I realised that. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it was nine and a half months. We, we made sure we got all the timing right, at least we thought we did. And, and yeah, in my first game, um, non-contact, my right knee went. Um, Sorry, my left knee went. Yeah, yeah, it was right, right then left. Um, so let's just... Focus in on that for a second. The, I would imagine there's a bit of self-pity going on in your own mind. Uh, it's a really interesting one. I um, I never actually thought, why me? Uh, it's That never crossed my mind. I, I, I never thought, why me? And I never thought, I'm not going to continue here. Even when I did my fourth one, mm. I, I thought there's no other alternative for me. And... Yes, I had those questions thrown at me and, and, and you'd have discussions and it'd make you think. But um, 
it wasn't something, I don't know, I think because I had goals and I was so set on them, it wasn't going to be, if I, if I went into the why me and the negative mindset, I thought that would hit me where I wouldn't be able to achieve what I wanted to. And so I guess I was intrinsically driven to be able to come back and try and achieve these goals. And yeah, winning the premiership was one, but another one that was always and always has stuck with me is getting to the level that of player that I knew I could become and I wanted to become. And so that's something that I've always chased and has been a real challenge for me throughout my career. And I still, still, it's much lesser now, but I still have challenges with that day to day. During all of those recoveries, all of those rehabilitations that you've got to go through, not just with your knee, but then you've got to get the rest of your body fit to play AFL football, and there's it's multi-dimensional. It's it, there's a whole lot of things going on. What were some of the things that helped you through those periods? Bearing in mind that I'm about to ask you some of the things that hindered. Yes. Um, yeah, some of the things that helped me, it, it, to be honest, uh, it took me into my fourth rehab, which is far too long to get things right in terms of um, really on top of the rehab. Uh, I remember in my third rehab, uh, no one had really came back from three ACLs at AFL at the time. And so I just remember thinking, I want this to be the perfect rehab. I want this to be the prototype for everyone around the world who does an ACL rehab. And I tore my ACL again and I learned in my fourth rehab that there is no such thing as a perfect rehab. Uh, everyone's story, everyone's situation is completely different. And the other thing I learned with that too is having setbacks and having challenges and having difficulties was actually not only good, but it was necessary because you would then learn that, oh, I'm deficient in one area. And this is actually by this setback coming up, it actually shows that maybe I'm not quite ready here or maybe I need to invest more time into this. And so... Uh, my fourth rehab was by far my longest, but also by far my happiest rehab, my most positive and my best rehab. And so in my fourth rehab in particular, I learned that a number of things. I learned that I needed to utilize the network around me. So I needed to communicate more with my teammates, with my friends, with my family, um, about how I was going, about whether I'd be struggling or not. And at first, I didn't want to burden anyone. That's probably why I didn't say too much. Uh, but I quickly learned that if I don't tell people how I'm going, one, they don't know how to help me, but two, they don't actually know how to interact with me. And so they would then avoid me on times. Um, and so not only would make it more challenging for me, but it would make it more challenging for them. So that was something that I learned in talking with different psychologists. I, uh, I utilised Wayne Schwartz a fair bit, who, who's um, had his own depression issues and he's, he's very good and he does a lot of work in this space. And so by communicating with people, that was one big thing. Another thing was was um, having other outlets and hobbies that I could turn to away from rehab. So my whole life was based on my knee and my rehab. And so by coaching an under-14 team in Geelong, I would then go out and coach these kids twice a week and then coach them on the weekend. And that would fill the void of me not being able to play on the weekend, which was massive for me. That gave me that positive energy around something else um, when I had a lot of obviously negatives around my knee. So by having a good combination of outlets and hobbies to focus on, by communicating, and another one was by documenting things, by writing down everything in rehab, and I'll have this in my takeaways at the end in terms of not looking too far ahead. And so every time I did my knee, I would look nine to nine and a half months ahead and pick a date in the calendar of when I'm going to come back. And look, that's something I liked doing, but it wasn't necessarily uh, helpful for me because... 
if you'd have a setback, then all of a sudden that day is gone. And so it put an extreme amount of pressure on myself. And so by breaking things down and rather than looking 40 or 50 weeks away, but just by looking at the here and now one or two weeks away, it made it so much easier to achieve those goals and, and keep on top of things with your positivity and your overall well-being. Love it. So on the flip side then, there would have been situations where maybe something got in your way that you didn't need and that you didn't realise it was a problem or a concern. You referred to coaching a junior team, which was a really great uplifting experience for you. What were some of the things that maybe you were confronted with or maybe you were doing or maybe um, you just felt difficult to avoid that in hindsight you'd say, gee, that's something that I wouldn't go down that road again? Yeah, there's there's definitely a few things. I think in Geelong, Geelong's a great town in terms of everyone goes for Geelong, so the support is unreal. However, what that meant for me in my situation was everyone knew that I was overcoming knee reconstructions and that was my injury. So everywhere I would go in Geelong, I would have people come up to me in the supermarket and go, how's your knee? <laughs> so I would have it every minute, every day, someone would be talking to me about my knee. And so what that meant was I couldn't escape that. And so I, my knee became my identity effectively. And so I had a lot of anxiety in my knee that had built up, but it was so far amplified because of everything in my life was revolving around my knee. And so that's one thing that in talking with my psychologist about it, we had to desensitize all of these issues, which made a massive difference for me. And so that's one thing. Um, another around that um, was the lack of involvement and the isolation. When you're in rehab, you train, your teammates train away from you. You might go out for lunch, then they'll be training because they'll need the physios. They'll then go to lunch. You'll then come in and do your rehab in the gym. So the actual fact that you're not a part of it is, is amplified as well. And so that's something that I really struggle with. And then probably the last one, which... I think everyone struggles with this. And again, it took me to my fourth rehab to learn this is when you're having a bad day or a bad hour in rehab, for example, and that would be 90% of the time for me, <laughs> I would have something go wrong or something would be a challenge. Um, don't allow that to turn into a bad day. And so in my first three, if I'd have a bad hour at training, I'd go home, I'd sit on the couch, wouldn't talk to anyone, I'd write off the day. Whereas I learned in particular in my last rehab that I've got to stop doing this. If I have a bad hour, I've got to text one of my mates or I've got to go and coach or I've got to go and do something else. That gets me out of my own mind and that pity stage effectively where I can turn around a bad hour and make it a good day. And so that was something that made a massive difference in my last rehab. When you got to the end of all of this, you're into the fourth knee reconstruction. Who knows? There could have been a fifth. At what point did you feel like you had succeeded at the end of it all? Was there a point where you thought, yes, I have achieved? That's a really interesting question. Uh, it's probably there's multiple answers to this because my comeback was 1450 days after my last <laughs> AFL game. And so that's absolutely one of my biggest achievements was I for every single day thought about my comeback game and people always are like, oh, I couldn't imagine if this had happened. I couldn't have pictured or dreamt this was going to happen. I answer that I did dream my comeback game because I'd thought about it every day for 1450 days. Mm -hmm. So that scenario had to be one of those 1450 days. And so when I came back and stayed back effectively, got through the game, that was a, a real achievement because I hadn't done that. I hadn't played a game in such a long time. So that's one uh, however, from there, 
I was still a very determined athlete that I still wanted to win a premiership. I still wanted to perform to the level that I knew I could. And most people said, you, yep, you've come back from four knees, great. Um, you'll probably play a few games and that'll be it. And that wasn't good enough for me. I wanted to come back and show everyone that I could come back and could play at the level and show other people who were going through similar things that you can still perform at a high level. And that's what a lot of people doubt and they self-doubt themselves when they go through things. So for me, another big one was winning the Sample Premiership in 2021. So just over a year ago now, I it was almost 10 years to the day since Geelong won the Premiership that I missed out on, um, that I played in at uh, the Adelaide Oval for the Eagles and we won the we won the flag. I played with my brother Troy in that game. And the uh, sheer weight off my shoulders from that was massive. I remember for the next month I would watch highlights, I would think about that day in that game every single day and I was like wow this actually does mean a lot to me mm. and then rolling into pre-season last year just gone I remember thinking I actually finally probably for the first time feel comfortable if I had to retire now I could do it mm. um, I felt like okay this is what it feels like just to enjoy playing and not have too much pressure and just um, go out there every week and, and just play and that's probably been different to my career forever and and so that's um, that's something that uh, yeah is an, another massive achievement for me. You're listening to Beyond the Club. You're hearing from Daniel Menzel and his story, his journey through AFL football of uh, recovering from four knee reconstructions. We're going to take a break. We're going to hear a message from the Sammy D Foundation on the other side of that. Daniel will tell us about mental toughness, mental fortitude, how we developed it and how he's delivering it now. Don't go away. You're listening to Beyond the Club. Hi, it's Rachel here from the Sammy D Foundation, South Australia's leading violence prevention charity. We've seen over 30,000 people participate in our programs in the past 12 months. Our programs educate and empower young people on the impacts of bullying, violence and alcohol and other drug misuse by delivering engaging and adaptive and effective evidence-based education. For further information, please visit sammyd.org.au. You're listening to Beyond the Club. We're joined by Daniel Menzel, who is taking us through his uh, extraordinary career in AFL football, 80 games, four knee reconstructions. Uh, it's quite remarkable to hear the story and how positive he has been throughout it all. Daniel, um, at what point did you realise that what you'd garnered over the course of all of these setbacks that you'd endured, uh, prevailed over, would be a message that you could potentially share with others? Yeah, it was really humbling that when I made my comeback, Fox Footy made a documentary uh, on my comeback. It goes for an hour and so they released it. We played on the Friday night. They released it on the Tuesday and the Wednesday night, two parts, 30 minutes for each one. And within a week, I would have had three or 400 messages via different social platforms and emails and whatnot. And a lot of these messages were from people who said, I've actually never played sport or I don't play sport, but I battle with mental health and I can relate to your situation. Uh, I was blown away by the amount of people who not only from Australia, but overseas would message me and say, yep, I want to advice about this, or I just want to touch base about this. Uh, I get a lot of people who had done ACLs that were asking questions around it as well. And so I certainly didn't expect that um, feedback from so many people. And 
it's probably where I realized that and in replying to a lot of people, I probably realized, well, maybe I should have a website and maybe I should have some of this information out there that can help others. Uh, one thing I thought of was I've been through four ACLs. I know how four ACL rehabs, I know how difficult they are to get through as a professional athlete let alone as a country netballer or footballer <laughs> who sees a physio or a strength coach or a doctor or a surgeon once every month. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to construct, I know there's not much out there, I'm going to construct my own ACL plan, I'm going to utilise my surgeon, my physios, the best people and get information on mentally and physically how to coach you through the rehab on a month-to-month basis. So I did that. I put that online, uh, free ACL online plan. I also put the information on there that I found was really important around overcoming setbacks and the principles around this because, like I said, I knew that it wasn't just people who were going through ACLs. It was a lot of people who just struggled with mental health. And so built my website off the back of that. We made some apparel as well, which was really cool to dabble in and, and understand that side of things. And that was back in 2015, 2016, we launched and continue now doing things around that. Um, I'm in the space of uh, delivering presentations to corporate businesses, to mental health organisations, to sporting clubs, um, to job seekers. Uh, there's a lot of different ones, but again, I feel like a lot of the principles are similar. Um, so I've been fortunate to, I've done a lot of different things of late. I, I did one at a winery last week, one at an accounting firm. I've got one at a gymnastics center with just females. So it's really diverse, which I, I love. And it, to me, it explains that the message um, is across everyone and it shows that mental health is so applicable to everyone in society. The business, and you got the cap on, I can see, mental toughness, mental fortitude. We've discussed this before, Daniel, at the um, at the Mental Health Charter um, launch. I have always traditionally seen mental toughness. My own personal definition of mental toughness was I'm suffering and I'm going to endure it in silence without sharing that message with anyone else. How do you define mental toughness? So I really like this quote. It is, anyone can see the adversity in a difficult situation. It takes the strongest person to see the opportunity. Mm. And so that for mine is very much that when you, and this will be one of my takeaways as well, when you go through difficult and challenging situations, um, understanding that that is part of life is, that helps you then move forward much quicker. It helps you, you don't feel discriminated against that. Why me? This, why is this happening to me? Unfortunately, everyone goes through challenges. Everyone goes through setbacks. It's then what you can do about it and how you can see the opportunity or at least try and overcome it. And so for me, MTMF, mental toughness, mental fortitude, it started in my last rehab. And again, my last rehab, I touched on it before, it was my best rehab. Throughout my first three rehabs, I remember thinking for 80 to 90% of the time, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm battling in my rehab. I'm mentally not where I want to be. And for 10% of the time, I'd either be going well or I'd read messages from people who would support me or I'd talk to people around me and I'd think, geez, no, nah, I've got great support. I, I, it doesn't feel like it most of the time, but I know I do when I genuinely think about it and when I talk with people about it. So I thought I've got to come up with something where I can feel like this, I can flip it. I can have, feel like this 90% of the time and, and struggle 10%. So I created my own wristband, which is mental toughness, mental fortitude, and one thing I am grateful for now is that I came up with my own slogan so that uh, when it comes to copywriting and everything else, I didn't have to pay too much money. And so I came up with my own wristband. I, I made it and I just wore it on my wrist. And what it did was every single day when I was in rehab, every single day when I struggled, I'd look down at my wrist 
and it would just give me that hit of adrenaline and I'd go, all right, no, I've got this. I, I know I've got this. I know I've got the support. It doesn't feel like it, but I do. I definitely do. So it would absolutely help me get through every single day. Do you look back on that? Do you Have you almost surprised yourself that you could replace those negative emotions with positive emotions? Because human nature suggests that the negativity often swallows you up and it's a real fight just to just to keep that at bay, let alone replace it with something so positive. Yeah, it is a really interesting one and it's it was a massive learning curve for me, I guess, on resilience throughout my whole journey. And it's one that I uh, I love watching and following, whether it be on Instagram or whatever else, different things, success codes, um, really good, happy stories. And you get the whether you get the butterfly feelings or you get the tingles, you get the goosebumps, um, when you watch a clip of something and you get so inspired by it, and I that's I love doing that. And so when we've all done it, you've watched a clip on the footy and you'll watch a great story and you'll think, geez, I'm going to go out for a run right now. You feel really motivated, feel really pumped. And so it's something that um, I do that. And when I do that, it just it really reminds me that, all right, no, I can achieve what I want to achieve. And, and so – like I said, I want to feel like that more often. And so I just, I, I realized that the mind plays such an important role and your mindset around that and the optimism um, is so important. And so, yeah, I guess, uh, unfortunately, I had four years at it. So I probably should be good in this space. Um, if I'm not, then probably I didn't do it right. And so there was a lot of learning for me and, and it did take me a long time to get there as well. Are you surprised that your experience of your own setbacks in elite sport have become so relatable to people that are in local sport or community sport, or they're not even in sport at all. As you said, you're dealing with with businesses and uh, and I guess a, a group of mums who do you know gymnastic exercises yep, yep. Uh, once a week on a weekday or a couple of times a week. Are you surprised that your story, such a controlled environment, relates? so resonates I guess more than relates it resonates with such a broad scope of people Uh, I'm not surprised now I would have been a few years ago and I certainly was a few years ago but I have learned in dealing with a lot of different people that uh, as I touched on before mental health is it's relevant to everyone and so uh, I guess in doing and working with different organisations and different people, you learn that pretty quickly. Uh, it's one that I, it, again, it's so humbling that I usually if I do a presentation, I might get a message afterwards from someone who was in that presentation. And and again, they'll just say, I, I could relate to something. And you're like, okay, great. It's nice to get that feedback. It's nice to know that at least one person that's helped or they can relate to. And so to me, it surprises me in that way every single time. But at the same time, it shouldn't because you realise that, all right, this is so applicable for everyone. Dan, and you've uh, you've referenced it a bit throughout uh, our conversation, but we try and, uh, I guess, put a nice little bow on the end of every episode with what we call the Fast Four Takeaways. So I guess it's just a summary of everything we've discussed, and we just try and provide everyone who's listened with this episode with four fairly simple, snackable, easy-to-digest dot points that they can utilise in their own lives, whether it's as a parent and dealing with... Uh, a child who's had an injury, whether it's an administrator and they're dealing with athletes who've got injuries, or uh, just if there's someone in in the community that you know that is struggling, or even if you're struggling yourself, what are some of, uh, maybe just some of the, the simple 
uh, easy to achieve goals that we could just maybe share with people um, over the course of the next couple of minutes. So um, you've obviously come on with it. You've done your you've done your research. We appreciate that. Um, what are maybe four of the, th- the the four things that you would be looking at? Yeah, so I've, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and I, I love this part of it because it's great and I find this in my presentations. It's great presenting and giving people ideas, but you need to give them takeaways so that they actually can go away with things. And I love hearing different podcasts that, that do this. And so my point one, my takeaway one is performance is directly tied with well-being and mental health. When athletes know and understand that it can improve your performance, they will then invest into the mental aspect of it. So my example with this is if you um, are an athlete and you know that you're going to do a gym session because it's going to make you stronger, it's going to make you a better player, you absolutely do it. You do it. If you are an athlete and they go, yep, you can speak with a psychologist or you can do this mental health thing, you go, well, is it going to make me any better? If you find out that it will, I guarantee you every athlete will invest into it. And so it's really important that athletes understand that. And when they do, they will then definitely invest into it and clubs will as well. So we'll just, just let's just really tidy that up because it's, it's beautifully put. Training your mental capacity is, from the perspective of performance, just as important as your physical training. And every athlete does a heck of a load of physical training. Supplementing that with mental training is really important for performance. It is really important because as you get older, as you get wider, as you, wiser, as you get more experience, you understand the psychological and mental side of it is so important and you can actually catch up and uh, gain advantages on other athletes that are really focused on the physical element. So understand why you are happy, understand when you're really positive, understand how you get positive energy and it will definitely impact your performance. Love it. Point two. Point two is set goals, write them down and break them down into smaller blocks. So what I did in my last rehab was I broke my goals down into week-to-week goals. And by documenting this, what it did was it helped with my accountability, but also rather than looking at that end goal, which is for me 40 or 50 weeks away, um, if you look at that, you all of a sudden get really overwhelmed because it is so far away. I'm not sure I'm going to get there. Uh, how am I going to get there? It's going to take me forever. Will I actually get there? Rather than doing that, look at just this week. Um, look at the here and now and what can I achieve this week? And if you achieve that this week, you will get to the end of the week and have that sense of positivity. You have that sense of achievement. If you don't, you just move that goal to the following week. Mm, mm. So just on that, you're talking about, uh, let's say you've had the the surgery, the um, they've reattached the anterior cruciate ligament, and you're maybe about five weeks in. You're going from five weeks to six weeks. I imagine the targets are fairly small, are they? They are fairly small, but at the same time, they're still relevant. You're still making a 10 or 20% gain. It's still very much, um, if you write it down, you can see the you can see the improvement, you can see the goal, you can see the achievement. And so you need that because ultimately they, they are small. So if you don't write this down, you don't have these small goals, you feel like you've made no progress. Mm. Whereas if you can document it at the end of the week, you might go, I'm not sure, but you look at it and you go, no, I have. All right, great. Tick that week off. Let's move forward. Brilliant. Love it. I, uh, that's a fascinating point and something that I probably wouldn't have considered really strongly. Point number three. Yeah, point three, uh, and very much I would target this at kids out there in particular, is find your passions and go after them. Try different things, and by doing this, it will help you feel more comfortable out of your comfort zone. 
It's one that, uh, but for me in coaching, uh, in taking on different things, I have about five or six different jobs um, that are part-time jobs. Um, they, they, what it does is I deal with different people every single day. I get to learn from different people. Um, you upskill yourself. But also you find out what you're passionate for. I learned that um, if you're doing something you don't enjoy, you're not going to stick at it. And so um, a lot of people I think go, yeah, I might play footy, but I don't think I'll play this sport. I don't think I'll try cricket or tennis or something because I'm not sure if I'll be any good. You're better off doing it, trying it and and learning. You're either no good um, and you can pivot into a different direction or going, all right, well, maybe I've got some skills from one sport that can come to another and it will actually help you in life as well. Love it. Point number four. Point four is resilient people know that suffering is part of life. So in realising this, you accept when the down times come and the challenges come and then you can move forward and work out how to overcome them. Brilliant. Okay, so let's just wrap those. Train your brain. So yep. yes, train your body, but also train your brain. When you set your goals, point, so point, this is point number two, when you set your goals, set them in a manner that you've got the long-term goal, but also easy to spot goals that are short term along the way. Yeah, the that, accountability that the accountability of it and the last thing I didn't mention with that is spe- specifically when you're overcoming a long-term injury, when you get to the end and so many people say this to me, all right, I'm ready to come back now, I'm ready to return to play, but I just don't know what happens. I don't know if I'll do my ACL again. Like I don't know if I'll get through. And I say, unfortunately, there is no answer to that. There's no guarantee you won't do it again. However, if you have this documented on a piece of paper and you can look at it and go, okay, I know I've done everything. I know I've ticked everything off. That will give you the greatest amount of confidence you can get going into that. Point number three, you said find your passion, diversify your interest. Just Reflect on that one more time. Yeah, I think that a lot of people in life do things for the sake of it. They they do a job that they might not necessarily love, but it just it pays the bills. Um, and it might not necessarily be a job, it might be a hobby. You need to have things in your life that you get that positive energy from that you feel really um, passionate about and it gives you that purpose as well. So it's really important to try things and put yourself out of your comfort like zone. Like you with coaching, that under-14 team. Absolutely. And to wrap it up, Suffering is part of life. Just explain that again. Yeah, it is. Uh, I My presentations, I focus heavily on resilience and I've uh, watched a lot of different things and learned and read different books on resilience and, and different people who talk about it. And they talk about um, people who say, why me? Oh, I'm so unlucky. I, I find it funny when people say, oh, I'm so unlucky. It always bad things happen to me. And I'm like, you make your own luck. Everyone's unlucky in, in their own way at times. That's natural. That's part of life. In realizing that setbacks are going to occur, you're going to have challenges, you then can accept them much quicker rather than grieving on them for much longer so that you can then move forward and go, all right, well, what can I make of this challenge? What can I learn from this? What can what good can come from this? Dan, mental toughness, mental fortitude, how do people find you? Just give us a very brief pricey of your presentation, how long yep. it goes for, what can people expect to hear? Yeah, so you can find the website www.mtmf.com.au. It has the ACL plan on there. It has um, some apparel still on there, uh, some mental health principles. But also, yeah, the big thing at the moment I'm doing is presentations around resilience, around teamwork, around um, mental health. 
uh, and motivation. And they're, they're 30 to 45 to 60 minute presentations that can be delivered to athletes, can be delivered to sporting organizations, mental health, corporate businesses, and I can target it to whatever that business or that individual or that company wants. Uh, and yeah, it can hopefully help um, upskill some people in that organization and, uh, and help people through the challenging times. Means you're a fascinating story, mates. Remarkable four knee reconstructions. The fact that you've come out the other side of it, not only um, survived yourself from a mental perspective, but also been able to provide so much support and encouragement to others. Uh, I implore anyone who's in that space with a club, um, make the most of uh, Daniel Menzel. Get in contact with uh, with his business. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Dan, thanks for your time on Beyond the Club. Hoogie, okay, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. And go Grizzlies. Go the grease. <laughs> hey, it's Isra here from Good Sports. We are Australia's largest community sport health program, helping over 10,000 clubs nationally to create safe, inclusive and family-friendly environments. Community sporting clubs told us what they need most and Good Sports delivers just that. Connection to a dedicated relationship manager to step club volunteers through the program help to comply with legislation and duty of care requirements, quick and easy access to proven tools and resources, and tips to boost funding opportunities. Good Sports is free for all community sports clubs. To learn more, head to goodsports.com.au. So that's a wrap on episode four of Beyond the Club. You can access the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes or by heading to our webpage, flinders.edu.au forward slash shape and that will include details on how to contact Daniel Menzel. I'm Ben Hook One on Twitter and you can find Beyond the Club on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, you name it. Big thanks to our crew right here in the Flinders University Good Vibe Factory. Our producer is Gemma Caven and a big thank you to my man Benny Watson who does our music and our artwork is by Alicia Menzel. We'll see you next time on Beyond the Club.